it's sort of amazing that even though we know giving ownership, transferring that ownership to students is important and it's transformational in terms of a approach that we can take within our instruction, we still want to hold on to everything as a teacher and as a leader, we want to do everything ourselves too. I struggle with it, uh, leading better leaders, better schools. And I forget about the amazing talent that's literally all around me at my fingertips. And I forget about the uh, talent, the voice of those I serve and how I might tap into that to actually make my work like this podcast even better. Well, today we're going to start off our conversation with Susie Harder. She created an awesome program called Junior Authors, and I hope you check it out. But she uh, leverages the voice of students to write books. And some really interesting things have happened uh, in her community as a result of that. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Establish your legacy with Harvard Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty as you develop the framework, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community. Get started at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Gutierrez using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during COVID. Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Maker, I'm here with Susie Harder, who has a master's of clinical speech pathology. She's an experienced clinician who devotes much of her passion to working with children who stutter. She works in private practice and school setting to help support children and provides workshops and consulting-based support to school districts across California. She recently created the Junior Authors Program, which is a revolutionary literacy-based platform, and uh, that'll be a big component of today's conversation. Welcome to the show, Susie. Hi, it's good to be here. So there was a hometown, you know, calamity, a, a fire. It caused mass chaos. There was ash everywhere. The skies were gray. And uh, in that, you know, literal and metaphorical moment of darkness, you were pondering, how can I help? How can I be helpful in that moment? So what did you do, Susie? I think 
kind of that that side of you steps in, right? That says, okay, there's something going on and I can make the choice to sit back and kind of sit in that fear or the unknown, or I can take a step forward and move into what is this going to look like if I were trying to help and how can I best help? And your description of it is so accurate and it's it's my hometown and I now live about 45 minutes away. But the, I mean, it was there was ash floating in the air. You know, we'd come out in the morning and our car was covered in ash. And there were these little moments that I kept thinking, you know, like this could be someone's wedding album that's floating in the air right now. This could be someone's teddy bear. And, you know, just those really heavy moments. And it's you know, as much as financial donations are are wonderful, they really don't give you that feeling of, you know, that continual, like, I am really, really helping and doing exactly what I can. And so being that my background is working with kids and specifically with helping kids work through difficult situations and kind of best manage you know, in an age-appropriate way, what's happening in their world, that's where my mind went. And so it was kind of like, okay, well, let's do something that really engages kids, that helps kids, and in turn, of course, helps their parents and teachers in the community, but really with this focus on supporting children directly. Right. And, and you know, I think uh, you had this unique approach to writing books uh, that I've learned about with the Junior Authors Program. And um, from what I understand, I'm not an expert, you are, in terms of uh, the book writing process. Kids help to make decisions, which uh, seems very interesting to me. And yeah, can you describe that that process a bit and why it's important? Absolutely. The initial idea was to create a really wonderful kind of healing-based story for kids who have lost a home in the wildfire. And so I wrote this story and it's about a girl and her dog and there's some beautiful moments in it. And the artwork, now that it's all coming together, I feel like I just want people to kind of like go see those beautiful moments because it's so impactful. And um, in the middle of the book specifically, there's a scene where the dog has lost his doghouse and it's his first time walking through the neighborhood and Mm. not all of the neighborhood burned, which is very representative of what happened locally. And so it's that feeling of he's looking and he's thinking kind of like, you know, he's got his house. I miss my house. That bed looks comfortable. I miss my bed. And so really, you know, in a a purposeful way, building in a lot of those conversational pieces to help kids process what happened during the fire and to build awareness for those kids that didn't have that direct experience. And so, but I don't know how to make a book. I work with books all the time, but you know, I had this beautiful story and it's kind of like, okay, but now what do I do? And as I was learning all of the parts and the behind the scenes, and you're in the middle of it too. I mean, you really appreciate a, how much work goes into making a book and also all the things that, you know, you don't necessarily think about until you're exposed to it in that way. And so, yeah, it launched me into, okay, well, I can't just learn all this cool stuff and not share it with the kids that I'm around. This is so neat and let's share it. How am I going to do that? I don't know. So I, you know, within those next few days, developed a voting-based platform and we, and we, I did a website and a Facebook page. And I think that the concept happened on a Friday and I launched on Monday and the Ooh. goal was not to be perfect in any way. It was to be very real and to have kids travel the journey, the journey with me. 
you know, and that it's so relevant, not just contextually with the topic, but like as a speech pathologist, when I have during distance learning right now, all of my kids sign in, you know, we're kind of like, all of us are over the normal canned stuff that we do during our sessions online because we're so used to being in person. And this gave us something so fun to talk about and so relevant. And all kids would get on and they're kind of like, okay, Susie, so on the vote last week, here's what I was thinking. And I was wondering about blank. And it was like, this just lit the fire of, I'm now really invested in this story. And it launched mid-October. Um, and, you know, I had kids sending, well, I guess parents sending me messages from their kids, but emails and messages saying, you know, my child wants to know how Ava's the main character, the girl. Um, I want, <laughs> my daughter wants to know how Ava's Halloween went. And I was kind of like, that's so sweet because they're really so invested in these characters. And we built a lot of you know, we did a lot of character development. And so they are, they really represent this very real um, person and this very real issue. And so I put out a survey and all the kids chimed in on, you know, how her Halloween was and what her favorite candy was and who she hung out with and what she dressed up as. And then I reported back, you know, but it, it just has kind of given this life to something that, you know, everything has felt so disconnected and, you know, as a professional, it's it's such a weird journey because any of us that work with kids, the moment you pull kids out and you put them on the computer, all the things that we do that take so much work, but they're offset by that rewarding feeling of working with kids. If you don't have that rewarding feeling, then it just feels like a lot of work. And so, you know, I think it was timing-wise for me as a person. My kids are three and six and that fire happened on Labor Day weekend. And so it was kind of like we had just started back. Distance learning was at its, you know, kind of peak. My son, kindergartner, you know, who had never used Zoom before, really quickly learned to mute himself if he wanted to yell really loud out of frustration. And then he'd put his mic back on. And I was kind of like, I have never seen this side of my child. And just everyone was having a hard time. So it was kind of like, okay, well, can I do something that really gives kids something fun to be involved in with a sense of connectedness, but also, you know, not selfishly, but also gives us as professionals, whether that's a speech pathologist, a teacher, a principal, a way to connect with kids and have them really truly want to do that. So uh, I'm sure we'll lead into it, but I have so many schools now that the principals are leading these school-wide live Zoom votes for the book. And you know, they've all said, oh my gosh, this is like the first time all school year I really feel connected to my kids. And I'm used to, you know, kind of lunch being my favorite time of day. And I get to walk around and kind of get all of the energy from the kids. And then I go back to making my heavy decisions. When kids aren't there, it's just all the decisions and all the logistics. And so we have two really, really wonderful principles that I'm thinking of, you know, right now. And one I had asked her, about doing, you know, having her teachers participate. And she said, you know, I cannot ask my teachers to do anything right now. It is so much, but can I, as the principal, can I take this on? And so we figured out, you know, a way for it to work. And then she, she got like an educator of the week award. And she said, Susie, oh my gosh, 
that was the first positive thing I've had happen. I called my boss. I said, you know, I got an award today. I got to talk <laughs> with kids. We got messages right. from all the kids saying, oh my gosh, I was like starstruck. I got to build a book with a principal. You know, there's this kind of like sense of school community that isn't there this year. And so being able to cultivate a little bit of that, just a really wonderful addition to what we're doing. Right. And I, I want to pull out for the ruckus maker listening, you know, some I heard there in terms of uh, the kids wanting to know uh, what Ava, I think you said Ava was doing for Halloween and you, the kids saw themselves in Ava, right. And they connected uh, with her story. You said you did a lot of character development. I'm sure there's um, tons of intention that went into creating a great story, but uh, at the foundation of it is that kids saw themselves in the story, right? And they could empathize with the characters. And so from a high level for the ruckus maker listening, you know, where in the curriculum do kids see themselves or are they invisible? So that's, I think, a really important point for the listener to ponder. But I want to I wanna go back to actually where you started the story. I'm going to reflect back to you, make sure I got it. Idea on Friday, launched on Monday, right? So there's a handful of days there between idea and then launch. <laughs> Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And it and sounds so, nuts hearing it out loud, but yes, that's correct. Yeah. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe it is. But, you know, what I want for you to uh, explore with me right now and, and for the Ruckus Maker listening, like uh, there's a leadership lesson there, I think, right? Between having an inspirational, wonderful idea that's going to make change happen in the community and sometimes we punt and we kick the can down the road and we procrastinate or whatever. You are the antithesis to that. You took massive action quickly. And you also said something about uh, progress, not perfection, or that might be my phrase. I don't know. But that, that was the gist of what I got there. So, so talk to me more about that, that quick from Friday to Monday scope. Yeah, the I kind of jokingly say I'm a recovered perfectionist <laughs> because yeah, by me nature, too. I really, really am drawn to, you know, kind of sitting down and spending way too much time on something. And, you know, the example that I would give is through some of the nonprofits that we're working with for Creek Fire and Reforestation and kind of the whole community rebuild. We had a number of weeks recently where we were talking about how to help kids. And it was all of these meetings and we're talking and we're strategizing and we're planning and we're pulling those things up. And then I had this random kind of idea of like, oh my gosh, well, because the newspaper contacted me and I wanted to, you know, I'm like, I don't need me to be highlighted. Let's highlight these kids. That's who needs to be highlighted, not for their loss, but for their contribution to this project. And, you know, so we I did these interviews and it was kind of like this and I'll go back to what you're saying about the Friday to Monday, but this is kind of a similar thing. Whereas they reached out on a Saturday, and by Monday morning, I had interview. I had I identified a junior author of the week, interviewed her, written up the article, and submitted it by Sunday evening, so it could be printed that week. And more happened in that than all of the weeks prior of planning how to help kids. It was like let's just dive in, let's talk to kids, let's include them in the process. And it will just naturally evolve into whatever it needs to be. And so that's really how I approached it for the, the launch of this as well. It was kind of like, you know, the more time I spend on it is not going to really change anything. I really value the input from kids. So let's get their input starting right now. I, for instance, I mean, just this week, I interviewed 
sisters that were 11, 13, and 15 who lost their home. And they lived on the same property as their grandparents and their cousins and everyone lost their home. And, you know, we spent an hour plus and, you know, we laughed, we cried. It was, you know, so touching and so wonderful. And through that, I had been thinking, I'd been asked, you know, by number of schools, you know, how can we support these kids and what can our school do to help? And, you know, can we do a fundraiser? What is it we can do? And so through this conversation, you know, we're talking about ideas and I said, well, what if we send things? And it's kind of like, you can make a big collage out of them. What if we do? And so this beautiful comment came out of this 11 year old girl's mouth. Like our property is so gray and blah, and there's these little sprigs of regrowth. And that's my favorite part right now. And so I said, well, let's do trees. Let's all send, you know, like I can create it and I'll post them on the website and people can just send trees. And then we'll make this beautiful collage of just like a whole bunch of trees. And so now that's going. And, you know, that never would have happened if it was just me thinking about it. It's that culmination of using that creativity that kids have and, and just that rawness and and going for it. Yeah, right. Love it. Thank you for for sharing that story too. You know, we, we were talking about how you leverage um, student voice and, and they vote and they have uh, influence in terms of the direction of the book. And I'm curious for, for uh, principals, how might they think about uh, staff voice? And I don't know if it's something that you've experienced as a professional or something you've seen with other other uh, schools or just an idea that you'd like to share with the ruckus maker listening on how to incorporate more voice uh, into the work. Yeah, that's a really great question. And my lens really does look so specifically at kids. And so I'm sure a lot of that is transferable. Um, and it also kind of overly simplifies, <laughs> you know, working with the staff. But the concept of people feeling seen and feeling heard is so important to me. And one of the ways that I know I am drawn to accomplishing that is really taking the time to acknowledge what someone is doing and to appreciate out loud those characteristics that drove that. So not just the action that happened, but the true character trait behind that, that really it can be, I think, more deeply meaningful. And so for kids that might be, you know, instead of like, you know, oh, you did a good job on that. It's, I saw you working really hard. And even when Blank and Blake happened, I saw you stick with it and you kept editing and, you know, and for a staff member that will look different. But even just yesterday, I got a compliment like that and it resonated and I woke up thinking about it and just felt so good about myself. Wow. <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, how we pass along those compliments, I think can be so empowering. And, you know, when I think about the the things that I've done within the school district setting and kind of at the district level and then within my own practice and then, you know, the junior authors, the times that I really, I think, had most access to kind of all of my ideas was when someone had faith in me and kind of gave me that, you know, I believe in you, here's the things I see in you and go for it. And so... You know, I, I really try hard with kids to frame it out a lot like that. And I mean, that's why the book and this project is so intentionally built that way that, you know, like we're not parents and adults aren't even allowed to vote. It's all kids. They're driving the ship. <laughs> 
Beautiful thing. Give the kids the ownership, you know, and it's amazing what they they can accomplish. Well, Susie, I'm loving our conversation. Uh, we're going to pause here for a message from our sponsors. But when we get back, uh, I'd like to talk to you about this tweet that sort of went crazy for me. Learn the frameworks, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. A joint collaboration between the Harvard Graduate School of Education and Harvard Business School. Connect and collaborate with fellow school leaders as you address your problems of practice in our online professional development program. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Susie Harder, who is the founder of Junior Authors Program. And uh, we just ended up talking about the importance and value of uh, really giving ownership and voice and power to your students, letting them uh, drive the ship, uh, which is so, so good, you know. And I, I mentioned, you know, before the break, we're going to talk about this tweet, but this tweet is really about you. Uh, and it's about women in leadership in general. And so you already highlighted, and, and, and everybody knows I've been working on a book uh, and doing some research. And, and it's about the mastermind community, which is a leadership development community. Uh, part of the book, real quick, is just the ABCs of powerful professional development. That's authenticity, belonging, and challenge. Each component has subparts to it, right, that bring it to life. And within belonging is inclusive environments. And so I, I did a deep dive of research. What is it about uh, building inclusive environments? And I also had some assumptions that I wanted to find out what are the real um, facts and figures, percentages in terms of women in leadership and then leaders of color. So uh, I found out that 76% of the teaching force are female educators. From that 76%, 52% are principals. And when you move into central office, it's, it's around a quarter uh, that become superintendents. So that's interesting how it gets smaller and smaller as you move up the ladder, so to speak. And I put that tweet out there. And normally, you know, I get a couple of likes, a few retweets. This one went crazy, like hundreds and hundreds of likes and retweets and comments. And uh, normally that doesn't happen. And I said, whoa, I struck a nerve. And uh, we were talking in the pre-chat how you relate to that, right? Uh, and you mentioned how, how women are naturally compassionate. So I want to get out of your way, but I just wanted to set up sort of the context of that tweet. And I'd love for you to, to speak to uh, both our 
female listeners, uh, but the male listeners too, because I think they could learn, you know, from your experience and, and what's going on there. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, there's, it's so neat to have someone capture data that helps us reflect on what's happening. And so thank you for all the work that you're doing on, you know, kind of helping to build the leadership community. And, you know, like we talked about in the pre-chat, my first thought was, as a, and I can only speak for myself, but as someone who loves working with kids, it's really hard to have strict work boundaries, even though I know, and everything I've done tells me I need to have strong work boundaries. I still find myself in situations where I'm really just so compassionately drawn into extra things. And then I really, you know, I'm at risk for burnout in so many situations. You know, and then another thought as you were saying that just now is that, you know, I'm curious if the, because if, if, and I'm making an assumption and just a statement based on my own experience, but, you know, if as, as a woman in a leadership role, if I really am fueled by working with kids, being a teacher and being a principal might be my best place. Because the further you are away, the further removed and you have less direct interaction with kids. And so I know for the pieces that I've done within the school, when I'm really removed, it feels like work. And when I'm in it with kids, the days fly by and I'm exhausted, but it's a different kind of exhaustion. You know, so, but it is like, I would say hands down, being a mom in a leadership role is very lonely. You don't have a lot of people that see you as a direct person. You're either a boss, you're a resource, you're um, a mom, (laughs) you know, but really kind of having those people that see, here's my day-to-day and there are a lot of pieces happening. And like this morning, I had this giant like email campaign that went live and I got a feed, you know, a thing right back that says like, oh, your link's not working. And so here I am, my six Girls getting ready to leave for school. My three-year-old's jumping on my computer. I'm trying to fix the link. Uh, you know, she types the XYZ QR and almost hits send. And I was kind of like, oh my gosh, these little moments. And it's just this tiny moment in a whole day. And it can be really stressful because in those moments, you can't be four different places. And I was looking at my six-year-old had his puzzle on the island. And I was looking at the puzzle pieces thinking, you know, sometimes it's this little hundred piece dinosaur puzzle. um, Sometimes life feels like the hundred pieces that are spread all over and you don't even know what to do first. And sometimes there's pieces put together and there's kind of these chunks and it just kind of looks a little bit less daunting. And so I feel like as a professional it's kind of like I go back and forth between those two places where everything feels like, gosh, there is a lot and there's so many different pieces and then moves into, okay, I can do this because things are organized in this way. And I kind of, you know, roll back through the, you know, things feel a little bit more organized. Sure. I'm curious. I like that metaphor, the the puzzle uh, that really illustrates and, and, makes it come alive for me. I'm curious, is, is there any routines or rituals that sort of work for you to help you uh, see the organization or get to that place? Yeah, it took me a long time, but my early morning, so I'm a, naturally I'm a night owl and right. 
getting up early is not my thing. Um, it took me a year or so. I, you know, I read Hell Alrod's um, Miracle Morning. And so that morning. kind of yeah. got me moving <laughs> in that direction. Yeah. Um, and then during COVID, I think was really when it was kind of like my only way to survive the day is to have this really great piece of sanity to start the day with intention. And so my early morning routine is now what saves me on the, on the days that I don't do that. And I get up at the same time as my kids, I find myself chasing the day and it just feels so different start to finish, not just the first hour, but the entire day. And so that you know, I've mentioned to you that not that my ideal, but as of this project, you know, finding places that things fit and how to best support our community. And so I get up at four every day and I have an hour to myself, whether that's kind of meditation-based or journaling or emails if I need to. And then I go and work out. And then I either go to my office and work or I come back home and then I'm at work a lot right now. And when I have those early mornings though, I really find myself better utilizing my day and finding joy in pockets instead of feeling too frazzled. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad that uh, you've been able to find that in in the pandemic because if I'm transparent and vulnerable, like my routines and rituals have gotten worse, you know? Uh, And it's it's been a really weird moment for me because... um, Usually I'm really great at that, to be honest. And that's part of reason people, you know, I think elect to, to work with me. But that's it's been a huge struggle during this time. Now, I wonder if it's um, the lack of a, sort of a team sport and competition, which I normally had in the morning and being able to uh, get a good sweat in, which I can do individually, but it's different when you're doing with, with a group and trying to uh, uh, win, so to speak. But yeah, that's all I want to say. This this show is uh, about you. And um, well, no, no but last... that makes me... <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. Oh, yeah, can I jump in real quick? So, yeah, of um, course. My thought on that is that the the feeling of inspiration to me is absolutely key. You know, I'm, I'm prone to kind of my ups and downs mental health-wise. And when I'm up, yeah. I'm up. And when I'm down, I'm just kind of blah. And um, any of the pandemic was starting that way. <laughs> kind of like, you know, but I think it was out of necessity and this, I, I really feel like I can contribute. And it's been really interesting watching kids transition too during this project. It, like the girls that I mentioned that I interviewed and we came up with this tree project, we were talking about kind of like their wish list items for their new house and just kind of going there and dreaming. And then we started talking about a playhouse they could build out by the pond that had all these things and they just lit up. And so I said, well, you guys haven't done a GoFundMe. What if we do a GoFundMe and we'll put it in the paper and let's see if we can build this dream house. Will you sketch it for us? And let's just, I don't know, let's just see. And then their mom over the last two days has said, oh my gosh, they are inspired beyond belief right now because something Mm. gave them that thing. And, you know, for all of us, it looks different, but if we can for ourselves and for our kids, find that thing that gives us that real inspiration, that that true, genuine, like I am excited about today because I get to do blank. Not I have to do blank, but I get to do blank. And, you know, that really can shift so much of that pulling back from the day and kind of move into the launch forward into the day. For sure, for sure. 
Well, uh, Susie, I'd love to ask you if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a day, what would you put on those marquees? So I would say your voice matters. And that comes from my message as a speech pathologist who works with children who stutter and really supporting their confidence and communication in daily situations. And then that's also a key component of the Junior Authors Program and our little mascot tap, the little microphone, his mic tap. Um, he says, you know, because your voice matters. And it's so true. I just say, really want kids to truly feel that. You're building a school from the ground up, Susie. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? I love this because I feel like people go so many directions. I'm going to start with a giant slide because... The perception of kids as they're driving by would be, I can't wait to go to that school. When do I get Mm -hmm. to go to that school? That school is fun. And even if it's a disguised learning model, if you're packaged in this like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I think there's a lot of, you know, fun things there. I also, because I work with occupational therapists and sensory regulation, would dive heavy into sensory smart classrooms and where, you know, kids could potentially be showing signs of ADHD. A lot of times it can be offset by a really good OT building in things during the day. Like one of the schools that I work with, they have a portable and teacher was saying, you know, so-and-so first graders just stomps everywhere he goes. And I said, well, he's probably getting some deep proprioceptive input. And that's probably, and she's like, wait, what? And so we started doing <laughs> some things to offset it. And she's kind of like, oh yeah. my gosh, that is amazing. So I feel like that would help teachers in those moments that they're driving, going nuts. And then I'd have a really great kitchen and not that it's practical, but I think it would be amazing if kids had a ton of healthy food and they could go make their own lunch and see what other kids are making and kind of explore in that way. Yeah, I would eat there too. Awesome. (laughs) Susie, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Oh, that's a good one. I have so many. Probably to create opportunities to celebrate kids. And that would work for staff members too, but not all the time do those celebrations just happen. And as a leader, we are in the position where we can create those. And I have so many kids that are saying, you know, my principal did this as a junior author. You know, my daughter was starstruck. She was, this just made her year. Now she's writing books all the time. Now she calls herself an author. Now she blank and blank because the leader looked at her in that way and acknowledged that. So I would say that's my longer answer than probably you wanted, but that would be the thing. Celebrate kids. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time 
Until then, class dismissed.